Got time for a quick story. The tubes are a unique entity in the history of pop and rock music. Good luck trying to categorize them or to compare them to another act. You can't do it. Look up their performance videos, especially the ones from the, from the 1970s. Go find them online. Listen to their music. It, there's, there's something different about the tubes. They occupy their own space. And there's really not any other way you can describe it other than to watch it and listen to it. But I tried to describe it a little more by talking to a guy at the front of the tubes who could really describe the band and his own music much, much better. Fee Waybill uh, has been on the other end of the line a couple times, interviews over the last uh, year and a half from when this edition of Got Time for a Quick Story is being published in July of 2020. First time I talked to him was in March of 2019 when the Tubes were going on tour to perform the entirety of their classic 1981 album, The Completion Backward Principle. And Fiweba went into full discussion on the music of that album. I also talked to him in July of 2020 on the occasion of doing this podcast about his new solo album, called Fee Waybill Rides Again. First solo album in about a quarter century. So you're going to hear both interviews in this edition of Got Time for a Quick Story. We're going to actually start with a newer interview first. From July of 2020, Fee Waybill discusses his solo album, Fee Waybill Rides Again. We're talking to Fee Waybill today. He's got a solo album out. It's the first solo album in a long time, but it's here and it's good. It's called Fee Waybill Rides Again. Um... Night, correct my date on this. 1996 or 7? When was the last solo album you did? That was right. That's right. 1997, I believe, was Don't Be Scared by These Hands was my last solo <laughs> album, which I also did with Richard, Richard Marks and, uh, and a friend of mine, Bruce Geich, from Nashville. Uh, and once again, uh, this is, you know, Richard and I collaborated on this uh, with him co-writing and producing, and uh, on on all on well every track, every track, all but one track, I wrote all but one track, and uh, and then that one, and that's that track that Richard wrote with with uh, Chad uh, Kroger and and uh, and Chris Daughtry was was a, a a track that he wrote with you know I had nothing to do with it. Richard wrote it with uh, Chad for for Daughtry's record, mm. and they decided they didn't want to do it, and I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, he, he always sends me his material, whether it's for him or for somebody else or for, uh, you know, sends me songs, and and we're very close to, and have been for years and years, and uh, and he sent me that track, and I thought, oh, my God, that's such a great song, and I'm, I put it on my iTunes, you know, and I listened to it a hundred times, and then he goes, well, they don't want to do it. And uh, okay, no, no, tough, no phone calls. Is that the first time I was going to say? Believe it. I want, what? You, you're kidding me. You don't. I want to do that. Then I, I want to do it. You know. I just, <laughs> and you know, I don't care if I didn't write the lyrics. I don't care. I want to do it. So. You've been working with Richard Marx for, I mean, you said a long time. I mean, this goes back to the 1980s. I mean, the first time I saw the collaboration in a liner note was on Should Have Known Better off of the first album. But you oh, yeah. you describe 
Um, how did you first come to meet Richard Marks? Uh, Richard, Richard came to a session. We were we were in the studio with David Foster doing uh, doing the Outside Inside album back in '83, and uh, and Richard had Richard at the time was you know like 18, 20 years old, and he was a songwriter from Chicago, and he came out to L.A. to uh, because he had written a song with Lionel Richie, Lionel Richie that that was going to be on his album, and uh, and he asked Lionel. He goes, I really want to meet David Foster, and and Lionel said, Well, he's you know he's doing the Tubes record over at the Lion's Share in L.A., and uh, uh, I'll call him up, see you know, and so and so Foz just went, Okay, sure, well come on down, and so they came to the studio. Richard came down to the studio one day, and we were in the studio, and we were recording, and Richard just sat in the back of the studio really quietly, and you know. Uh, innocuously just sitting there and it was a we were having a tough day because the guitar player was trying to do a solo bill was trying to do a solo and the the his gear was 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 getting was beat up we'd been on the road we had just gotten off the road and his amp was just not happening and it sounded he couldn't make it sound the way he wanted to sound and he was getting frustrated and uh and you know, and and David Foster is such a perfectionist. You know, he's he's, you know, well, fix it, fix it, fix it. It sounds like a washing machine. Fix it. And so Bill was getting more and more frustrated, and they couldn't seem to figure out how to make it sound the way they wanted. And uh, uh, so Bill turns around and sees his little kid sitting in the back of the studio in the dark, and he goes, "Well, who's this guy? What? Who said this guy?" You know, call security. <laughs> and, and, and Richard's, you know, cowering back in the shadows. And uh, and I went, Bill, come on, just you know, don't worry about this kid. He's a he's he came to see Foz, you know. Don't worry about it. And I, it was only us. It was only me and Bill and David Foster and Alberto Gatica, the engineer guy, and Richard sitting in the back of the room. And I said, Dude, just forget about him let's fix your thing here let's let's and so uh and so yeah i can't remember whatever happened i think he ended up i i think he ended up just giving up on it and saying i'll come back tomorrow i can't i can't seem to make this work and uh and then you know richard got to meet david and then at the end of the day he said you know thanks a lot for defending me man you know and he said i really like your lyrics uh would you write a song with me? And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. And so we wrote the song, we wrote Who Loves Your Baby, which was on my first solo album, Read My Lips. You remember Who Loves Your Baby was the catchphrase for Kojak. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> you know, 100 yep. years ago. And, uh, and so that was it. That's how we met. And we wrote, you know, we wrote that one song on my record and then, and then a couple of years later, we, you know, he, we wrote some, well, yeah, then we wrote a couple, I think before we, before he ever had his first album, I think we wrote uh, uh, Edge of a Broken Heart for Vixen. Mm. And uh, that was a big hit. And, uh, and so then he got a deal 
you know, he decided he didn't want to just be a songwriter. He wanted to get a deal, and and he got a deal at Manhattan Records, which is a subsidiary of, of Capital at the time. And he said, well, let's write some more songs. And so his first album, you know, I think I had three or four songs on his first album, and he sold, you know, like, he had a big hit with Don't Mean Nothing. And uh, so that kind of started it off, you know, and then I we started writing together and became friends. And, uh, you know, we wrote, I wrote songs on pretty much every record, had a few hits with him, and uh, and we've just remained friends all these years. And, you know, I'm the godfather to his sons, and uh, who are brilliant, unbelievably brilliant musicians. Mm. They can play everything, you know. They can play keyboards, guitar, drums, you name it. They can play it. Wow. And uh, so we just, you know, we we I we used to we started this record by writing that song Faker, and because uh, I used to go to. When the boys were young, we used to go. We used to take a summer trip every summer, and we would go. They had a cabin up in Manaqua, Wisconsin. Mm, yes. Okay, you know where Manaqua is, right? Yep. Way up in the north. In Way the up lakes. north. Yep. Yep. And we used to drive. He lived in Chicago or north of Chicago, and we used to drive with the three boys, uh, just the boys, and we would drive up to Manaqua. And spend a week at the cabin up there and go fishing and go, you know, horseback riding and go-kart racing and and having a great time. And we just, you know, we, we did it over and over and over again. And, uh, and on one of those trips, well, the boys kind of grew up and, you know, and we, I still would go out in the summer to see Richard. And I think it was the summer of 2013. So the boys were like teenagers then. And uh, and we wrote and Richard said I have this great lick, and uh, and you know so he and he played me the lick in Faker, and he said let's record. He had a recording studio at his house, and so we said let's record this, and so we did. And Brandon played drums, and and we recorded Faker, and it was and he played a bunch of guitars on it, and and he and we he goes you know let's do let's do a solo record for you. You haven't had a record, and this was, you know, 2013, so it had been 13 years back then, mm-hmm. uh, 14, 15 years. He said, let's, let's do a record. And I said, okay, well, good idea. <laughs> let's do a record. And so we started then, and we did, I think in the next year or two, we did like three more songs uh, for the record, and uh, and then we kind of stopped. With that. Everything, we kind of... We kind of Everything kind of changed. You know, we went on the road, and the Tubes started touring and doing more and more gigs and going to Europe. And, and then Richard, uh, his whole life turned upside down, and he ended up getting divorced and moving to, to L.A. And so everything stopped for about, gosh, about five years, maybe six years. We didn't do anything. And, uh, and then after things kind of got back to normal out here and uh, in California, and he was, you know, happy and and writing, you know, making records again with for himself and for other people, and and he said, let's about a year ago or so, he said, let's let's finish this off, man. We're halfway done, and uh, so I said, okay, so we started going, we started back in writing and and doing vocal sessions and. You know, putting it all back together to get this done, and 
and uh, and we're you know I'm so lucky to be able to work with so many great musicians on this. It's you know Matt Scannell and Why Not and Brian the the bass player and the drummer of his Richards band and and Matt we've written with Matt Scannell from Vertical Horizon we've written with for years and uh, and so we just went into the studio and started booking time and and uh, and working on this record and. Uh, and and you know not knowing obviously what was about to happen with the pandemic and we finished we finished in like february and it was i don't know it was just it was it was just you know we like i said we had no idea what was coming down the pike and we finished the record in february and uh and then we started working on art and mixing and mastering and then and then this whole thing hit mm-hmm. in in you know middle of March, and then you know they, then I thought well, you know first first some people said oh well don't release right away because the music business is in you know everybody's everybody's in flux and and I thought no this is this is the perfect time everybody's stuck at home aren't they, <laughs> they wouldn't they like to hear something new something different and. So we went right ahead, and you know we don't have really we don't have a deal. We're doing it all on our own, and uh, and our management company, you know, said let's do it. What the hell, you know? People want to hear something new. So it all kind of it all just kind of came together here, right, right, uh, right in the in the midst of the of the quarantine. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Let's go track by track. I want to give kind of a a brief, if you will, give a brief paragraph description of either why you wrote the song and or how the song came together in the studio, et cetera, et cetera. Sort of a, a track by track description for anyone listening who's just listened to the album a, a few times over. So you already mentioned a little on Faker. Let's go right to the second. I'm going by the Spotify listing here, so I'll go in that order. How dare you? Well, that was a... I, I, uh... That was actually a line from one of Richard's songs, How Dare You Love Me. Uh, and I always loved that line, and I kind of, you know, once again, it was a, you know, I was I was at the time broken up with my wife and trying to get back together, and I was writing poetry and sending her poetry in the middle of the night, you know, because I was so upset and wanted to get back together, which we have, actually, we got back together a year ago, got married a year ago again for the second time. <laughs> and so I'm so happy. And uh, so How Dare You was just kind of a, a a song that came from a line from Richard's, uh, a line from Richard's earlier, earlier lyric. And I just kind of expounded on it into, you know, I changed it to How Dare You Dare Me Not to Love You. How dare any? Because the original line was "How dare you love me," or "How dare I can't rem- I can't even remember." But and then uh, "Don't pull the trigger" uh, was actually from actually that was another song about temptation, and I wrote a poem about it. And it came from a, a lot of a lot of times I write, you know, in the middle of the night I'll get up and write a poem, and sometimes they, you know, I have a I have my first book of poetry was is out there and it's been out there for a few years and uh uh go to the tubes website and you could find it uh 
uh, and I, I just got the feewaybill.com together finally, <laughs> and uh, it'll be there also. But Don't Want to Pull the Trigger was about temptation, the sort of temptation. It's about, it's about you know, pretty much sexual temptation. About, it's about infidelity, basically, and, and, and not doing it. You know, and that—that's that one. That's one of my. That's probably one of my favorite songs on the record because, as you, as you, you know, the intro to that song is the little demo Mm -hmm. that Richard texted me with him playing an acoustic guitar, saying, "I can't really play the lead, but it kind of goes like this," and and then he and then my wife actually suggested. That she says, oh, that's so cute, and why don't you why don't you lead the song off with that, with the little demo, with acoustic guitar, and then have that roll right into the recorded track, and so we did, and I I, I just it's one of my favorites, and our friend Matt Proc, who uh, who is a brilliant young man from Chicago who mixed and mastered the record, uh, figured out how to do it, how to take that crappy little text and and make that the intro into the song. Uh, don't want to pull the trigger. Yeah, so. it, it's almost seamless. I, I love how, how it goes together. It, it works perfectly. Um, I so. know. It's so cool. And, and, and it was Elizabeth's idea. She said, oh, that, that's so cool. Why don't, you, why don't you do that? So anyway, we did that. Uh, so then the next song, Say Goodbye, was a song that Richard and I wrote for his record a long time ago. And uh, and I wrote the lyrics for him, and he was going to put it on one of his records, and you know, and it just never, it it just kept getting put aside and put aside and put aside. I think for three or four records, you know, we were going to do it, and then it didn't make the record, and then and he had recorded it and put his vocal on it, and sent it to me, and then it kept getting put aside again and again. And I loved the song. I kept playing it on my iTunes, and I, I said, Richard, this song is so great. And he goes, Yeah, I know, but I just I've got too many songs. And 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 uh, I said, You know, I, every time I play this song, it makes me cry. I, I I have to do this. And so when we got to back together, he goes, Well, what a, let's 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 see, you know, let's find some songs. And I said, I want to do this. I want to take your vocal off, and I want to do the vocal myself. And so, you know, it just, it's a great, mm-hmm. great song. Mm-hmm. I really, that's probably one of my favorites on the album. I know it's, it's not a, it's not a rock song, but anyway, what's next? What's Promise the next Land. Song? Promise, Promise Land. Promise Land is like a, that was kind of a, that was an early, one of the first, one of the first ones we wrote along with Faker back in 2013-14. We wrote Promise Land, Faker, uh, woulda, coulda, shoulda, and how dare you back then. And that was kind of right after the whole freak out with Bernie Madoff and the, uh, and the rental, you know, the real estate crash yep. of 2009. And uh, so that was kind of a, that was kind of your social commentary, you know, my rant about how, how, uh, how it's turning into a world of dot com and, you know, which is which is continued and uh, so you know I kind of that one line I only wish this rant was preaching to the choir it's so it's so true uh, 
but that was, you know, that was that was that was that was a, I, I like that song too. It's just, it's you know, there's all, I'm I'm always. It seems like there's always when I'm writing for the tubes or whatever. There's always one of those songs, you know, one of those social social commentaries where I'm I'm bitching about something, <laughs> ranting about something. Uh, well, man of the world. The, the next one is That's is kind, man of the world, which is yeah, which which is like total sarcasm, uh-huh. you know, with the same kind of subject. With the line uh, about the corpse at the end, too. Of like, I had to listen to that a few times over, like that. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. But you still look good. <laughs> yeah, that's. It's 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 kind of it's a, obviously it's a parody about you know about about how how people are so fixated with you know with this with social media and with you know Twitter and with Facebook and with you know there what was the movie the. Uh, I think it was a Beatles movie, Heart Days Night, or, or I can't remember where the where they're they're going. I'm moving my left foot. I'm moving my right foot, and it's just like, okay, you're going to the bathroom. You don't need to tell me about it. Okay, I, I get it. So it's kind of total sarcasm, and uh, and that was a song that you know that that. Uh, we wrote a long time ago, and we were we were talking about songs. And he goes, "I found this track, you know," and uh, I hadn't done a vocal on it. And he just, and he he goes, "I don't even remember this track," and so he played it for me. And I went, "Oh yeah, wait, I think I wrote that." And so I had written the track, I had written the lyric, and never sent it to him. <laughs> and there was no vocal on it, and it was just. And I looked in my computer, and I found it, and I went, "Oh wait, I remember this song." This is good. Let's do this one. So we went in the studio, and we did it. So what was the next song? Oh, Still You on the Inside, right, is next? That That's next, yep. Uh, and that song, that was a song that I, that was the only song on the record that I didn't write. And uh, Richard and Chad Kroger from Nickelback wrote that song for Daughtry. And he didn't want to do it. And I could, and you know, Richard always sends me these tracks that he writes for, you know, for everybody or whatever. We're we're pretty close, and we, you know, we talk all the time. And he sends me everything he's writing, and and he they he sent me this track that with Chad singing, and I just I went, oh my god, this song, this is incredible. This is a great great song. I love this. It's so kind of, it's country. It's all it's almost country, and and uh, and I you know I. I I I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe he didn't want Daughtry didn't want to do it. And then Richard said, "Yeah, I know." And and Richard actually did it on one of as a bonus track a couple of albums ago. He did a version of it with him singing. And I said, "I want to do this." And I said, "Take off your vocal. I want to do it. I want to replace it. I love this song." And uh, it's funny because a lot of the responses I've gotten on that song is, "Oh man, this is country." You know, this should be on the country chart, you know. And we wrote, actually, Richard and I wrote a, a song, a country song for Emerson Drive. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is a country country band a few years ago, and which got to, like, number 17 on the country chart. It's the <laughs> highest chart, chart position I've ever had on country. <laughs> but he's written a number of big-time country songs. But anyway, I just said I love I I I don't care. I want to do it. I love the song, and this is one of the ones that we recently did. You know, when we got back together and 
and said, let's finish off the album. So then, what was next? Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Woulda, coulda, shoulda was another one of the four songs that we wrote originally back in, or we recorded back years ago in like 2014, 15 kind of time. And another another song about me not, not, you know, me blowing the relationship with my wife the first time. And... uh, don't pull the trigger. I, I think that line is in that song also. Uh, I, I, you know, let the big one get away. And and it has to be the only song using the word Nostradamus yes. that I've ever heard. <laughs> I've, I've never actually written the word Nostradamus down on anything ever before, but it seemed to fit, you know, look for Nostradamus for an answer from the past. Uh Doubting Thomas. I've never mm-hmm. never written a song using Doubting Thomas either. So but I don't it flows. Know. It works. It, it works. It works. And that's you know, it's funny. I was looking. There's about ten different songs called Woulda Coulda Shoulda. It's not. It's not exactly an original title. Anyway, and then the last song meant to be alone was Bleaching. You know, buzzards. Buzzards. <laughs> bleaching bones it's just another you know another one of those late at night after a little too after a few too many cocktails writing about oh my god i'm so unhappy i don't i miss my wife i miss elizabeth maybe i was meant to be alone it's like another lonesome cowboy song you know which is funny because a few people have told me he goes man this whole album is like lonesome cowboy and that's kind of you know that's kind of why we decided to to title it uh, "Rides Again." You know, like those. Mm-hmm. There used to be a, an old western called "Destry Rides Again," mm-hmm. and uh, a western movie. And you know, I'm a huge fan of western movies. And you know, we grew up in Arizona watching watching westerns and watching you know, "Wanted Dead or Alive" or "The Virginian" or. Uh, have gun will travel or all of those western series you know and all of those great you know western movies the man who shot liberty valance and the searchers and god i just love westerns i just i've always loved westerns and it just kind of seemed to be kind of seemed like that (laughs) you know cowboy he's just an old cowboy you know but the song, but the album sounds good. Your voice sounds great. Uh, it sounds just like what I remember hearing over all the years. Uh, but before you get uh, probably about thirty seconds before you got to get to your next interview, but I'll quick say, "Don't want to pull the trigger" is the one that's been sticking through my head. Like as we're doing the interview, kind of reminds me some of the chords even sort of remind me of the tubes a little bit. I've been for whatever reason that's been melding with "Don't want to wait anymore" over the past couple of days. I don't know why, but it, well, but it, you're, 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 yeah, I I hear that. I know I get it. That's yeah. cool. I mean, and, and you know, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's kind of our roots. You know, Richard and I wrote a couple of songs for the Tubes over the years, but but he's got that sense. You know, he's such a brilliant, brilliant producer, musician, singer. I can't tell you how much I've learned from him over the years, and try, you know, try to to live up to his expertise. And and I'm so happy with all of the guys that played on the record, you know, Why Not and Brian, the guys in Richard's band, and Matt Scannell from Vertical Horizon. I, I was just so fortunate, you know, to to uh, 
to be able to work with these people. I mean, it's amazing. It just and and it, and it, the quality, you know, stands stands alone. You know, it just every track the players are so great, and it was it was, you know, really up to me, you know, to try to live up to that with my vocals. And we worked really hard. And Richard's a great producer. There's nobody that's ever gotten vocals out of me like he has, and he just knows. He knows me. He knows my inflection. He knows what I can do and what I can't do. And he'll he'll know. He, he knows when I could do better and go. Okay, no, do it again. No, do it again. No, do this. Do that. You know. And it's just. I think. I think it's a culmination of a friendship that has lasted for for what thirty eight years, thirty seven years. Uh, and it, and it's, it's, you know, that's, that's what, that's where it came from. That's where it bloomed from. Okay. And it's very solid after all this time. It's a great album. It's a punching album. I would say, even with the variety, I mean, it's, there's a punch to it. Fee, Wabel rides again, listen to it, download it, stream it, however you want to get it, get it. I would encourage it for any listener right now. Fee, thank you so much for taking time to talk about uh, the album today and best of luck hope to see you and also the rest oh, of the tubes you. on the road oh, i hope so boy i'm i'm ready i'll tell you i'm ready uh i know we'll be out there and we'll be back to wisconsin i be, i enjoy playing wisconsin and and uh i thank you luke for for having me okay on on wism 98.1 fm you are Thanks very welcome <laughs> you're okay. very welcome up to see you soon take care okay Take care. Bye, Bye-bye. And that reference there towards the end about WISM FM 98.1. Those are the call letters and frequency of the radio station. That is my employer. Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, where I'm on the air in the afternoon. And that's the studio, actually, in which I recorded that interview and the interview that is coming up next, where we're going to go back in time to go even further back in time. The next interview with Fee Weibel is from March of 2019 when we discussed the Tubes going on tour to perform the entirety of their classic 1981 album, The Completion Backward Principle. So here we go. Fee Weibel from March of 2019 talking about all things related to that legendary album. Fee Weibel of the Tubes and The Completion Backward Principle came out in 1981. It's being re-performed, if you will, coming up on a tour, in, which is going to be stopping not too far from here in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. I'm going over in the Twin Cities in Medina coming up on April 5th. Uh, for starters, why in 2019 did you guys decide to perform the entire album again? You know, I don't know that. I don't know. <laughs> because, uh, I don't know. We've been to, we've been talking about it, you know, for two or three years. We've been talking about it. And the drummer wanted to do it, and and uh, you know, and then I, I was kind of hesitant, and I thought, you know, every, everybody's done this. You know, they've done the they've done the whole album thing. They've done it, and uh, but then this year, you know, we thought, well, what the hell? Let's you know. Uh, I don't. I don't it isn't a significant number of years later, really. It was 81. So it's like, what, 28 years later, 38 years later. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> oh, that makes me feel like I'm a hundred. Uh, <laughs> but it was, I think it was, uh, our, our best album. 
that was the first album that uh, we recorded with David Foster. And, uh, and David Foster had just come from, it was our first album at Capitol. We had been at A&M for five albums and we never really had a big hit. And uh, we got released and we went to Capitol and, 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 uh, you know, we, we tried a lot of different producers and, uh, but they can, Bobby Columbia, you know, Bobby Columbia was the A&R guy. He was the original drummer of blood, sweat and tears. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and Bobby said, Oh, I know this Canadian guy, you know, and he's, he, David had just finished doing, uh, uh, Boogie Wonderland with earth, wind and fire. And, uh, and we, I, I love that record. I mean, it was the best. And, and we all we always had kind of a, you know, we oh, we always wanted to kind of have a R and B feel. We never really had a lot of it in the earlier albums. Uh, we thought, well, this is perfect. This guy is, you know, this guy just did Earth Wind and Fire. God, you know. <laughs> so, so you know, David came up. We were we were in San Francisco. We had a big warehouse and a you know rehearsal hall down in the basement. And uh, and he came up from L.A. and uh, you know, he was, uh, it's funny because, uh, Jeff Baxter was the guy that came up before him. Remember Jeff Baxter? Mm-hmm. And yeah. Jeff, Jeff Baxter was kind of this LA kind of, you know, and there was always, we heard rumors about him. Oh, he's a CIA guy and he always <laughs> carries a gun. And I don't know if any of that's true or not, but he showed up and, you know, like the week before and all kind of Hollywood, you know, he had a lot of jewelry and he was Hollywood and he had like a cute mustache and, and, and I was, you know, I was a huge fan. I, I thought he was great. And, and, uh, but then when Foster showed up, you know, Foster just showed up like in a jeans and a sweatshirt <laughs> and, you know, no, no accoutrement at all, you know, just really down to earth, plain Canadian guy. And, but as soon as he sat down and we, we played him, we had a bunch of tunes, you know, and, uh, as soon as we said, he goes, okay, well, let's, you know, play me your songs and, and what do you got here? And, uh, and so we did the band, the whole band was there and we started playing different songs and, and David, you know, uh, sat at the keyboard. We had two, two keyboards at the time and Vince was playing and David was playing and he, you know, he just kind of went, okay, okay, I get it. And he would, he he, he would like pick up the chord progression in a heartbeat. It was ridiculous. He was so together and such an amazing, you know, instrumentalist. And, uh, uh, and, you know, then he, he, he'd think about it and he'd, he'd play it a couple of times and he'd go, okay, well, what if we do, what if we kind of do this? And, and he would like suggest, you know, some chord changes, some arrangement changes, maybe a, a modulation. Because this one, this doesn't really pay off right here. This, it, the ending should modulate. It should pay off. It should be, you know, you know. And we just were stunned. You know, we couldn't believe the guy is just amazing. He was just an amazing, amazing arranger, uh, producer, engineer. Well, we didn't know what, you know, production-wise, we didn't know anything other than what we had heard on Boogie Wonderland, but right. but just his arrangements and just his musical sense, uh, it just was, it was instant. It was, we went, okay, this is, he's the guy. He's the guy. Absolutely, he is the guy. And, uh, and so we did, you know, we pulled the trigger right away. 
and and you know made plans to go to LA and record and uh, we recorded at uh, a number of different studios. I can't remember if we recorded at Capitol. I think we did record some at Capitol, you know, at their studio downstairs in the Capitol Tower. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the engineer, Umberto, he had an engineer they always worked with, this guy named Umberto Gatica, which was a guy from Chile. And uh, uh, and they were just, I mean, it, it, it was, they demand, you know, this was before, this is before digital. This is before Pro Tools. This is before a computer could fix it for you, you know, mm-hmm. and and you had to, you know, you had it, it had to be perfect. He would not accept, he would not accept, you know, anything less. And uh, and we had, you know, the last album we had done before this was a record with Todd Rundgren, uh, Remote Control, and Todd was completely different. He, you know, it was like, you know. It was more like, does it feel good? You know, do, do, do you, does it does it does it have a good feeling to it? And and Foster went, no, it has to be perfect. It has to be. You want to play this part, play it perfect, and don't play, you know, don't play it. We're not going to play it four times, and and so that you know it kind of hides the mistakes. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's funny, but Steve Jones is a friend of mine, and uh, you know, from the, the guitar player from the Sex Pistols. Mm-hmm. And, Steve has a, a radio show here in L.A. I don't know if he's syndicated or not. Jonesy's jukebox is yeah. called. Uh, but, you know, we were talking, and, and they used to just, you know, they'd put on five tracks of guitars and and of the same part. And because, you know, it wasn't perfect, and they just put on another one and put on another one and put on another one, and you couldn't hear the mistake on track three. And uh, But not Foster, I mean... We, we, uh, you know, it, it was, it was three part background vocals and every part, every note had to be right. And, uh, I remember the first, I think Amnesia was the first song that I, uh, sang that I did a lead vocal on with David. And, uh, and I mean, it took me, it took me three days to do one song. I mean, working, you know, three, four hours a day singing. And, and I just, I had never, you know, I had never dealt with that kind of producer before who would just, you know, Mutt Lang kind of producer who just every note, every note had to be spot on. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, you couldn't fix it. You couldn't, there was no auto tune back then. It was, Oh, you're just a little bit flat. Oh, we can, no, worry about it. we can bring it. Out. Here you go. Oh, it's all fixed. And, uh, so it was an experience, man. It was, it was really, really incredible. And, uh, uh, and I got better. I mean, we all got better, you know, just for the, for the, for the work, you know, three days later. I mean, I think the second song I, I did only took me two days. And then, you know, by the time we finished the record, I actually got a whole song in one day. And, uh, uh, I think that's why it's just, it's kind of, you know, an iconic album for us. It kind of, it, uh, it, it always resonated with the fans and wearing the business. It was, it, it's kind of a parody of, the, you know, during that time, the early eighties, it was very kind of, it was very kind of formulaic. It was like corporate kind of formula rock. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
uh, like, you know, the, everybody wanted the big ballot, you know, the journey ballot, the REO Speedwagon ballot. It was all, you know, like corporate rock ballot. It, it's, it's, you know, it's, which is, sounds weird saying that now because today, you know, it's ridiculous. It would, what are there three record companies left? It's all world of corporate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, so, you know, that's why we, you know, we, uh, wore the suits. We did, you know, and the completion back, the, the actual, the, the completion backward principle was a sales technique. We found this record in some, you know, this vinyl record in some record store. And it was by a guy named Stanley Patterson. And it was a sales technique. It was, and, and back then, you know, this was, this was a, a technique for salesmen that were going door to door, you know, this is guys selling fuller brushes door to door or whatever encyclopedias, you know? Uh, and, and the whole concept was, uh, imagine the completed sale, you know, imagine imagination creates reality. And that was the whole thing. The completion backward principle, mm. imagine the completed sale. Uh, and, uh, and, and you bring it, bring it into reality. Imagination creates reality. And so we just thought that was, you know, priceless. <laughs> and, and, uh, and with the whole state of the music business at that time, you know, we thought, oh, this is great. We're all going to wear suits and we're just going to, we're going to do this whole parody on, on, uh, on business and, and, uh, and sales. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know why I really have no specific answer for you as to why we, why we decided this year to do it. You know, we were just looking for, we, everybody, about every year we, we rehearse and we figure out a new, uh, a new show. And usually it's some kind of a theme. Uh, our last show was kind of a tribute to Quentin Tarantino. It was kind of Pulp Fiction theme. I, I know we didn't play in Minneapolis for that show it was called mondo pulp Hmm. uh and uh and we did a bunch of stuff that was kind of relating to pulp fiction the movie and uh uh, but i don't know this year we just kind of thought well you know it's i I don't i don't really know why it came up but somehow it just came up and went okay well that's a good idea well you know everybody go out and buy a great final suit okay (laughs) and we'll all wear suits and, you know, slick your hair down and, uh, and we'll do completion backward principle. So it well, seems, it's, it seems to be working well. I mean, we've only, the tour has just begun, uh, this we've done about six or eight shows so far this year. And, uh, so this show in, uh, uh, I think this show will be number seven or eight or something like that. Okay. Uh, up there in, in Medina. And we haven't been to Minneapolis for, God, I can't even remember how long. It's been a long time. Oh. It's been a long time since we've been to we We've come to Wisconsin a few times over the years, but Minnesota, no. No, that's a no. Mm-hmm. There would be a plenty of fans to come to that. I would have to imagine to come out and, and see that. Now, v- visually, in terms of the presentation on the show, I, I how much does it hue tour to... 
how you presented the concert and how you presented the songs back in 81. I know like the video album that you did, and I know not every song from the album was in the video album, but I, I noticed that some uh-huh. of the stage show and the video album, they, they translated really well together. You, you could recreate what was in the video album on stage. How much uh-huh. of that are you doing on this tour compared to what you shot with Russell McCahey on the video album? Oh, uh, well, uh, quite a bit, actually. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, we don't have a cast of thousands like we had back then with Russell. And, uh, uh, but, uh, but we're doing, you know, I'm, I'm still doing a bunch of costume changes and a bunch of stuff from the show, you know, and, uh, from, from the video and, uh, so you know we're doing we're doing quite a quite a few visuals that combine with the with the uh, presentation. So uh, it's uh, you know it's going to be fun. I'm, I've really been enjoying it a lot. I've been enjoying it, and people seem to you know relate to it somehow. You know, imagination creates reality. I guess you uh-huh. know uh, it's it still works today. It still works today. What is the reason? I'm convinced. Oh. I'm convinced it works. I mean, I, you, you speak it into, you speak it into existence. You know, mm-hmm. you just keep. I, I, I was going to say in the in the in the press release, you know, that's when I was a kid. That's all I thought about. You know, I was imagining being in a band and being. You know, when the Beatles came out, I just went nuts. I I couldn't believe it, and I wanted to. You know, I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to grow my hair long. I wanted. Oh. So I think, you know, from the time I was about, gosh, 62, I think the Beatles came out. So I was like 12. So I mean, I thought about being in a band for about 10 years before I actually, mm-hmm. you know, before the imagination turned into reality. So don't give up. Right. Okay. How much do you know when you come up with with songs like that? I, I mean, obviously, you, you were several albums into 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 the band's career by the time the completion backward principle was written and recorded. Right. But how much do you right. necessarily know these songs are still going to mean something to fans, especially with a change in producer, a change in approach, change in record label, all of that at the time? How much is this going to mean? I mean, as much as you can predict, four decades down the road. Well, I know. I mean, there's. You can't know. I mean, I don't think you can know. Uh, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, I think you just have to, you know, try to try to have do it. You know, do it right. Do it high quality. Try to not cut corners. Try to try to, uh, you know, just do the best you can. And although sometimes, like I was going to say, when we did talk to you later, uh, I knew right away. And I, I remember we had, I was, I was living with our manager. We had a manager at the time who lived in Toluca Lake, which is like, you know, kind of a, he lived in Red Fox's old house mm, wow. in Toluca Lake, which is kind of the valley in, in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And I was staying with him and he had a wife and two children and he was, uh, uh, he had been our manager. His name was Ricky Farr. He had been our manager for a few years and uh, uh, he was an insane Welshman. <laughs> who was just completely insane. And he was actually the guy that took us to England for the first time. And, and he said, Oh my God, you guys, you know, doing this kind of parody and sarcasm. 
English people are going to love you. They're going to love you, you know, making fun of yourself and making fun of American society and, and stuff. And, and, uh, but, and talk to you later wasn't really that kind of sarcastic kind of a parody of some kind of social mori type of song. It was just a rock and roll song. And, but I knew it's funny after the, the day after we recorded it or the night, the night, after I got home, the night, the day we recorded, I got home late at night. It was like two o'clock in the morning, and I went into their bedroom and I woke him up, and uh, I woke Ricky up and I said, "Ricky, oh my God, you know you got to hear this. I, I can't. I'm sorry to wake you up, but you have to hear this song. It's just unbelievable." And uh, and so I got him up out of bed, and you know back then we were playing cassettes. I had a cassette of a rough mix from the studio. And uh, and so sometimes you just know. Sometimes you just you get that feeling, you know. You just sometimes you do. And and other times you just got to, you know, do the best you can and, and try to make, try to do as high a quality uh, representation of the song that you can, you know. Mm-hmm. Before I let you go, I understand you guys have been working on a little bit of new music as well. Uh, we have actually. We've been working, although you know, nobody wants to hear new music. You know that, right? <laughs> we we play. play we do play, play some new stuff from some of our classics, so we're looking forward to it yeah. at our stage. We do. Oh. Like once a week, oh, we'll okay. highlight something. So bring it on. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we have uh, Roger and Trey and I have been in the studio and uh, working on new songs and. And uh, it's it's tough, you know, in the live venue. You know, we go, we go. Oh, here's a new song. And everybody kind of goes, Oh, great. <laughs> I'm gonna go get a, I'm gonna get a drink. I'll be back. <laughs> you know. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you never. I'm working on a solo album with Richard Marks. I've actually got a session uh, this week on two, Thursday and Friday to go in and do some vocals. And you know, we've been work, working on a record and for, for uh, you know, a couple of years, easy. And uh, and Richard's got a new record he's working on. And, and we know that, you know, it's, 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 nobody, nobody's going to buy it. You know, it's not going to get played on the radio. It's, you know, in this day and age, it's just, nobody's buying rock and roll anymore. Mm-hmm. But it's like, he, he always said, I said, well, Richard, you really want it? He goes, dude, this is what we do. It doesn't matter, okay? It doesn't matter if they like it or if they don't like it or if they buy it or if they don't like it or if they don't buy it or they play it or they don't play it. It doesn't matter. This is what we do. This is what we've always done. So we're doing it. I was like, okay, whatever you say, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what I do. You know, I've, I've been so fortunate to, you know, uh, to uh, have a 40-year-plus career you know, singing rock and roll, and uh, 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 it's funny that I was at a party last night with, with some neighbors and a friend of ours, and uh, there was a guy there who uh, who was friends was very close friends with Steve Lawrence, hmm. and uh, and he, he used to hang out with Steve Lawrence, and apparently, you know, and he was a great singer, and uh, and and he started talking about Frank Sinatra. And, uh, and, you know, I'm a huge fan. I mean, the Tubes did a Frank Sinatra song of this town. And mm-hmm. I, we've done it live many times. And, and uh, I was, I'm a huge fan of Frank Sinatra. And, and he was telling me a story. And he said, 
and Frank would Frank would call Steve Lawrence. He would call him Steve and Edie. <laughs> and that was, he just called him Steve. It was always Steve and Edie. And, uh, and, you know, he was just, the guy was telling me he was just like magnetic. You walked into a room and you could not take your eyes off the guy. He was incredible. And uh, so he t- told me a quick story. I know you have to go, but quick story. Frank lived, uh, actually, he lived on the street that uh, my wife and I, Elizabeth, live on. It's called Beaumont Drive in, in uh, the hills, Hollywood Hills. Well, it's not Hollywood, really. It's kind of adjacent, Beverly Hills adjacent, which means you're not actually in Beverly Hills. You're too far away. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he, this, he lived on the street called Beaumont Drive, and... Uh, he said one time, Frank told him, I guess, that I, you know, Frank, Frank decides to get in his car and he drove like a LaSalle or something, you know, some whacked, you know, giant LaSalle Concord or something. And he drove, he wanted to get a drink and, you know, he drank a lot, he smoked a lot. And uh, he drove down the hill and he went to uh, this, this restaurant to have a drink. It was called... Uh, Scandia, which is not there anymore. And uh, so he went and had a couple of drinks and came back out and the, and the valet guy uh, brings him his car and Frank's, you know, Frank's a little tipsy and, and, uh, and he asks the valet guy, he goes, hey, you know, kid, what's the, what's the biggest tip you ever got? And the kid says, well, uh, it was $100. He goes, really? And so Frank peels off $200 and gives it to the kid. And he gets in the car, and as he's leaving, he goes, "Who gave you that hundred dollars anyway, kid?" And the kid goes, "You did." Oh, Last week. Oh, that's oh classic. Oh, that's yeah, a, that's anyway. a great story. Wow. Well, this this has been a blast. I'm glad I got a chance to talk to you today, and uh, and and I'm glad to hear the tour is going well. Coming over to the Twin well, Cities. You. Yeah, you're welcome. Over to Medina in the Entertainment Center. A uh, week from Friday, April fifth. Uh, the the show coming up uh, at uh, or excuse me, coming up on April. Day of the week is that? That's actually no. Uh, that's right. A, yeah, that's right. That is a Friday. That's right. Yes, Friday, Friday April fifth. Uh, the, the completion backward. Yeah, the completion backward principle. Uh, thank you once again. Fee Weibelt for uh, talking hey. with us today. Thank you, man. It's my pleasure. Take care. Fee Weibelt there talking about the completion backward principle, my interview from March of 2019 with Fee Weibelt. Now, if you'd like to learn more about what he's doing and what the tubes are doing, you can go to feewebill.com and also go to thetubes.com. Feewebill.com, thetubes.com, and you can find all sorts of links at both websites. This has been the latest edition of Got Time for a Quick Story. Thanks, as always, to my employer, Greatest Hits 98.1 Radio in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, for providing the facilities to do these interviews. And you can listen to a lot more of these interviews, the ones that that I do that you hear on this podcast, and also interviews that uh, other interviews that coworkers do, like uh, John Murphy does the morning show on Greatest Hits 98.1. He's done some interviews. He'll do more, and you can find all of those at the interviews page at greatesthits981.com. Also, you can find Got Time for a Quick Story, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, of course, Apple and Android. Subscribe to it so you know when new episodes are arriving and rate it as well, preferably higher. That'll get the word around a little more. Got Time for a Quick Story. I'm Luke Anthony.